You know, this month we've been focusing on stewardship and we've been using a book called Enough. And the subtitle of the book is Discovering Joy Through Simplicity and Generosity. And that's what we've been trying to do. In September and October at every worship service, there were people from different ministries of the church who came in to tell us about the different ministries and what our churches do and how we're blessing people and doing God's work. And then here in November, you've been hearing personal testimonies, people telling how the church has blessed them and and, uh, why they give, how God has led them to do that. I want to start off in a little bit of a recap of what we've been hearing in here the last few weeks. Three weeks ago, Maria was here speaking about the pressures of the world. And we know the world does that. There's advertising out there trying to make us think that we have to acquire stuff, that we have to have this and that. And uh, acquisition, the process of acquiring things, is exhausting. It wears us out, and it's not good for us either. Who likes chocolate chip cookies? Lots of people, most of us, right? When is the best time to eat them? right out of the oven, cool down a few seconds, and it's just the best, right? The smell, you eat one, it's incredible. And it's hard to stop at one. So, eat another one, that's not so bad, right? By the time you get to the fourth cookie, the novelty's wearing off. And if you eat 12, you just feel sick. And that's what acquisition does to us. It starts off looking tantalizing. But the more we give in to that, the more we simply acquire and take in, ultimately it makes us sick also. Um, there's wisdom. Maria talked about this also. There's wisdom in using what we have correctly. And uh, if we get too caught up in acquisition, it leads us into situations that we don't want. Let me ask you this. What is the opposite of giving? Taking? Keeping? What about hoarding? Hoarding. It's more intense, isn't it? Than just taking or keeping. But that's the opposite of giving. If we don't have giving hearts, ultimately it leads us into hoarding and trying to hang on to things. What about this? What's the opposite of self-control? Unrestrained? Hedonism, recklessness, slavery. If you're not under control of yourself, then something else is under control of you. Something else has the control of you, and that's slavery. We're supposed to be slaves to Christ, not to things. Two weeks ago, Brent spoke, and he talked about contentment, being at peace, being satisfied with what we have. If you were here... He uh, projected pictures of his first car up there. It was a family car that became his car. It was a huge white tank. Not what he wanted. Not the car he wanted. And he resented it for a long time. But over time, he came to realize how that car was a blessing to him. He just didn't see it at the time. He said it saved his life twice in Rex, because it was a tank. Um, He has memory of a family road trip to Disney from when he was a boy in that car, and it was the car that he picked up Kelly for their first date in. So he recognized the blessings in what he had rather than on focusing what he didn't have. 
Um, I do have to use the pearls before swine comic, so we'll queue up one of those initially. And this is rat and pig on the cliff where they ponder deep life things and they're talking about stuff. And, and pig asks, what's the matter, rat? I'm depressed. Why? Because I'm restless, never happy with how things are, always wanting something more, something new, something great. And Pig's response, he's levitating as he says it, I'm content with what life gives me. So I pushed him off the cliff. <laughs> and I met the nicest people at the hospital. When we're content, we don't look right <laughs> compared to the rest of the world. But it's what God calls us to do. And then last week we talked about generosity. We talked about how it was a fruit of spiritual growth, how it should be reflexive, automatic, informed by the Holy Spirit. A response to the realization that everything we have comes from God, so we give because he first gave to us. Um, the word extravagant comes to mind also. You know what that means? Lacking restraint, uh, absurd, exceeding what is reasonable. Now, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends on the motivation for being extravagant. If we're being extravagant just so people can look at us and say, ooh, look what they have, it's not a good motivation. But God's extravagance obviously is what we need to aim for. He was extravagant in the good way, absurdly generous to us, and that's what we should aspire to. Like I tried to mention last week, John 3.16, God so loved that he gave. It should be reflexive for us. Contentment is the state we should be in. Generosity is the response that comes out of that. So, our generosity should be a response to God's grace that was given to us. Last week was also Commitment Sunday, like I mentioned earlier, where we had the opportunity to consider how we're given to the church. Our prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. And opportunity to make a specific pledge or commitment to the church. And look, God doesn't need our money. God has no needs. Our church does, our local church does, in order to carry out the ministry. But God has no needs. It's us that have the needs. And we need to give because it draws us into his work. And more importantly, it draws us into his heart. Because that's what he does. We talked about tithing last week, giving 10%. Um, God gives us 100%, and he only asks for 10% of it back. We talked about how it's a calling, a responsibility. It's part of our testimony. Um, we used the apples last week. We got 10 apples out here and made the point that if you take one of these and put it away right at the beginning when you first get those apples, you make do with what you have. Studies show them that most people in most churches don't tithe. And I know that's getting into your business, saying stuff like that, but that's just what the data shows. But when we do it, God honors it. We heard that from the Old and New Testament last week. And ultimately, God cares much more about our heart 
and about our money. I want to use a passage from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. And this is where um, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, but he's telling them about the Macedonians he had visited previously and about their generosity. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, and he doesn't specify what the trial is, but out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, I think that means tithing, and then to us, meaning they gave beyond their tithe, in keeping with God's will. Their giving was extravagant, and that's what we're called to do too. I want to mention another concept that we didn't talk about last week, and that is simplicity. Simplify. Say that word. Isn't the word itself just kind of calming? Do your shoulders relax a little bit when you say simplify? It's removing the difficulty of something. Doesn't that just feel good to say the word? And pick out how you apply that in your life. Anything that becomes simplified is awesome. You know, whether it's filling out paperwork, programming technology, um, something in your home, downsizing, decluttering. That's why the whole Marie Kondo thing is going crazy, because even the world recognizes the value of simplifying life. Um, Nick mentioned at the beginning that this may be, for some of us, only time to slow down and experience the presence of God. It's a shame. It's a shame how true it is also. If we only had one opportunity in our week to drink water and we had to drink as much as we would need for the week, does that make any sense at all? And yet it's often how our worship works out and how often we plug into God. But simplifying is important and it can mean living below our means. If our house our closet or desk or car, if any of these things are so full of stuff that we hardly recognize it anymore, do you realize there's spiritual weight to that? You may not feel it at first because most of those situations get to that point gradually, but if you have to deal with that in some aspect of your life, there is spiritual weight to all of that. And God calls us to simplify. And if you think about what we talked about the past three Sundays, it addresses all of that. It's the antidote to the cycle of earning and acquiring. Because you realize, I don't need all that stuff that I thought I needed. It conquers the voices of fear and self-gratification. It's letting go of the need for more stuff and finding contentment and joy in what you have. And simplicity frees you up for generosity. There's more 
resources, more of you available to give. I know y'all are used to pearls before swine for me, but I'm changing it up, showing peanuts. Snoopy and Peppermint Patty. Snoopy, this has been a bad week for me. What can you do when everything seems hopeless? And then he's gone. That's good advice. It's good advice for us too. When also look at Second Corinthians ten through thirteen. Now Paul has told them about the Macedonians. Now he's turning it back to them and telling them, teaching them. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. This is one of those times where Paul, like Jesus did, is using an earthly metaphor to tell a spiritual truth. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's Thanksgiving week, and we think of Thanksgiving as us giving thanks to God for what he's given us, our response. This is a little bit different dynamic there. He's saying, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, when you're generous to people, the people you're generous to start thanking God. They see God in the process of what you gave to them. Even more thanks. It compounds the thanks and the blessings going up to God. And God starts to compound the blessings coming back down to us. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Our obedience when we give is part of our witness to God. And people are blessed by it and it strengthens their connection to God. It's part of God's plan in all of this. First Thessalonians 5.18 reinforces this about thanksgiving and gratitude. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. You hear the difference, right? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ Jesus in you. So let's talk about thanksgiving and gratitude a little more. Last comic strip of the morning. Another pearls before swine. This time rat talking with goat. What are you reading, goat? This book on attaining happiness, it says the key is expressing gratitude for all the little things in your life. The sunshine, a cup of coffee, a pretty rose. I'm grateful I'm smarter than hippie yahoos like you. Not sure that's what they meant. And now he's got his earbuds on saying, I'm grateful technology lets me tune you out. And so many times, the first things we think to be grateful of are the worldly, worldly stuff because we don't have our eyes on the heavenly. But when we do, 
there are blessings in it. What's actually kind of cool is that science has proven there are health benefits to gratitude. People who are grateful and routinely give thanks and express gratitude are shown at lower heart rate, blood pressure, less anxiety. It's almost like in telling us to do this, God knew what he was doing. As a physician, it's fascinating to read Leviticus sometimes and to see the rules and to see the intelligence and the, the design behind the rules. Don't eat this, eat that. We now understand why. Don't touch this rash, but you can touch this rash. All those rules in Leviticus, uh, it's neat to see that God knew what he was doing. And when he says, give thanks in all things, it's because it blesses and benefits us in all kinds of ways, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And just like simplicity is related to what we've been talking about this month, so is gratitude. When you're grateful for what you have, you don't hear those voices of fear and self-gratification and the need for more. When you're grateful, you spend less time worried about what's missing. So you're content. When you realize that all life is a gift and everything comes from God, you naturally want to keep giving to others because you're in line with the heart of God. But we don't always see those blessings. And if we were there when Jesus was doing the fishes and loaves, feeding the 5,000 back in the day, we might have had similar responses to this. I can't eat that. I'm a vegan. Has that fish been tested for mercury? Is that bread gluten-free? You know, sometimes we take the blessings for granted, right? They're in the presence of the Savior and they're questioning the gift. And we do that too. Sometimes we need God to open our eyes to that. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a family at work, and it was a grandmother who was bringing in her one-year-old granddaughter because both parents work. And as we were talking, she was telling me that um, in addition to this one granddaughter, she takes care of four others. She takes care of five granddaughters, and uh, it's not easy. A couple of these kids uh, have some very significant medical needs also. In fact, two of them are having surgery this week. They're sharing a hospital room to make the process easier for both of them um, to go through this. And as I was listening to her talk about all she has to do, my comment to her was, wow, I bet this is wearing you out. And she replied right away, not at all. I get to see my granddaughters every day. The Holy Spirit helps us do that. It helps us to look at the situation we're in and reframe it to see the blessings that are there. And then it draws us into gratitude. That realization draws us into gratitude. So um, thanksgiving means giving from a position of thanks and gratitude. But it also, when we do it, it leads us into the life that God intends for us. Speaking of life... In the New Testament, the word life appears an awful lot. But that's the English word. If you, if you start looking at the Greek translation of the, Old of the Old and New Testament, our word for life is broken down into three different words in the Greek. The first one is bios, which means physical life. And that's breathing, that kind of life. We're alive because we're breathing. The second is psyche which means mentally alive. 
or thinking. We're alive because we are thinking. The third word is Zoe. And you've heard that word because our church is involved in the Zoe project. What Zoe means is the good life. It means abundant life. It means fullness of life. That of the three is one that is used the most in the New Testament. In John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, that's what he's talking about. It's his desire for us. It's what he intends. And that kind of life is the kind of life that he wants us to experience in the midst of everything, in the midst of poverty, illness, grief, divorce, heartache, whatever. He gives it to us freely if we slow down enough to hear it and receive it. We're living the abundant life. Everything that we've discussed this month just starts clicking for us. We're unaffected by the world's pressures and temptations. We're content. We're generous. We have grateful hearts where thanksgiving comes readily to our lips. And our eyes are open to the blessings and the presence that we have. How do you know when you have enough? You never will. Unless... You find your sufficiency in God. Unless you realize that God is enough for you. As the band comes forward, you know, this final song is a time of prayer, a time of uh, reflection, maybe a time of response. Like I mentioned, the commitment cards are around. If you want to offer one like we did last week, you're welcome to do that. But you may be thinking, okay, yeah, all of this makes sense. I know. I get it. I need to be more grateful. I need to be more thankful, generous, content, whatever. I get it. How do I get there? Let me simplify for you. You ask. God does things when we ask him that he doesn't do when we don't ask him. And as you're asking God, you know, realize the altar is a place of sacrifice. And this altar is un underused. God hears our prayers sitting right in the seats. But there's something that happens when we're vulnerable enough to come up and just have one-on-one -on -one time with him also. Um... So what do you pray? You tell God what you want. Tell God what you need. He knows, but there's something in us that responds when we verbalize it, when we put it out there to him. So you may want to pray, open my eyes to the blessings that are in my life. Give me a grateful heart. Show me how to simplify. Show me how my giving can bless others and honor you, God. Lead me to contentment. Show me how I can be extravagant in what I give. Show me how I can find my sufficiency in you. You know, there's a, whatever you want to call it, an illness in us, a hole in our heart. There's stuff in us that only God can fix, that only God can fill.
consider using this time to take it to him. Amen.